Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Well, I've been... uh preaching uh, about around the compass and kind of unpacking all that. And then last week I started a series within that uh, aimed at helping us land our theme of uh, Finding True North about uh, called Discover. And our message was uh, Discover Maturity and I went through the Greek picture, picture in the New Testament, the Greek language of, of how the process of maturity looks like in the Bible. And today I, I want to uh, move on to a, a different Topic uh, in the, the series of Discover. I want to talk about discovering purpose. Have you ever wondered why someone was really good at a task that you're not good at? Why someone's passionate about the arts while you love the sciences? Have you ever wondered why someone can pick up an instrument and play it like they were born to do that while you would rather pull teeth and sing in front of someone? Have you ever wondered why the case in our family is we've got one kid who wants to kick a ball and another who would quite happily sit there and build Lego with Lego all day? Perhaps it's not genetics. Perhaps it's got nothing to do with your personality. Perhaps it's design. Perhaps the thing that makes us alive, the things in our sweet spot, give us an indication of the plans of the designer. It's no secret that, that I love cricket. I love the, the sound of, of leather on Willow. I love that the Black Caps bowled England out for 58 in the test match. Uh, I don't love that Steve Smith's a cheat, but um, if you didn't, well, you'll find out about that if you read the news later. But I was so happy when, when I got my first cricket bat. Uh, I'm going to put a picture up behind me. It was a Grey Nichols Dynadrive Twin Scoop. Except it wasn't scooped, it was compressed dynamically to give it an extra dense sweet spot. I, I, I worked so hard on my cricket bat. I was, before I ever walked out in the middle with my bat, I spent weeks breaking it in, oiling it, preparing that bat for the moment that I would stroll out there and begin to score thousands and thousands of runs with this beautiful piece of willow. I, I loved my bat and it had the, the beautiful middle and uh, I just, I was so proud to, to play my first cover drive to, for four with, with the bat. And it scored a lot of runs over the years, but there's few things for me better than the sound of the cricket ball coming out of the middle of a bat. It, it just, I don't know, it's just a, a sweet sound. If you play cricket or have watched a lot of cricket, you, you possibly understand what I mean. But the thing about a, a cricket bat is if you hit the ball too low on the bat, it causes the, the, bat, the bottom of the bat to go towards the bowl a little bit and creates a vibration. If you get hit at the top of the bat, it comes back towards you and it creates vibrations through the bat. But when you hit it in the middle, there are very, very few, if any, vibrations. In fact, physics have researched bats and there's an exact spot, it's just a little bit above the, uh, the centre of the bat where if the ball hits that particular spot, there is absolutely zero vibrations go through the handle. The, the rest of, of a cricket bat is good, but the sweet spot is better. 
And I reckon what manufacturers give cricket bats, God has given you. He's given you a sweet spot, an area of life where you get better outcomes than any other part of life, an area where there are less vibrations while you're serving, a unique service for God that he has created you to do. Our sweet spot is the point at which our personal strengths and successes converge with glorifying God and everyday life. There is a zone, a region. He has tailored the curves of your life to fit an empty space in his jigsaw puzzle. And life makes sweet sense when you find your sweet spot. Today I'm going to bounce through whole lot of Bible verses that unpack this idea of a creator that has designed us for a unique purpose. First verse today is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, and I'm reading from the message translation. It says, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. I love that. Each of us is given something specific to do from God that isn't about us, but shows who God is. You know, that Da Vinci painted one Mona Lisa, Beethoven composed one-fifth symphony, and God made only one version of you. Again, from the message translation, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 to 26 says this, Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, Let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our life. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better or worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. God made only one of you. It's an idea I've talked about a lot over the years. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 from the New King James Version says, If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through, Christ, uh, through Jesus Christ. In Matthew 25, the parable of the talents gives us some insights that the maker assigns gifts to his people According to their abilities, God has entrusted you with a key task in his project. And step one, examine your tools. Your ability unveils your destiny. There was some interesting research done on on people's natural talents and strengths. They took a group, a random group of people, a few hundred of them, and uh, to, to discover how fast they could read. So they put everybody through a reading test and they discovered that the average reader could read approximately 90 words per minute. And then there was a second group, uh, a subset within, within the group that they chose that had a talent for speed reading. And these people could naturally read at 350 words per minute. That's quite impressive. So then they took both groups and they trained them how to speed read. And they found that the first group, the the average readers went from 90 to 150 words per minute. That's an increase of 66%. It's quite impressive. Now, the second group, well, they were already more than double 
the, the speed of the second group before they were trained. So they started at 350 words per minute, per minute. Does anyone want to guess what increase in speed that second group with the natural talent for speed reading could get to? So, sorry, I've been, someone said 500%, 120%, double, well, that's 100%. Hey, that's not a percentage, Keith, that's a number. Three times. Let me give you the answer, because you're not even close. 828% increase. They went from 150 words a minute to 2,900 words a minute. That's literally flipping pages, and they've read every word on the page. You've seen people, like, flicking through books. I wish... That I had that, but what what that would make have made school so much easier. What this showed is that when someone has a natural talent for something, an inbuilt ability for something, their capacity for increase when they're trained in their strengths is absolutely phenomenal. The average person can increase well. I think a 68, a 66 percent increase in speeding read. Uh, speed of reading is a good increase, if only I could read. But that's a, a good outcome. But 828% is mind-boggling to me. See, when God gives us an assignment, he gives us a skill. And I think to reveal our assignment, we can study our skills. I never considered this until I started preparing this message. It was a a new thought for me. But in order to look forward and discover our destiny, I think we must look back and examine our passions and our skills. As he calls, he equips. Look back over your life. What have you consistently done well? What have you loved to do? Stand at the intersection between your affections and your successes and begin to find your uniqueness. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that the Spirit has given each of us a special way of serving others. From the New Living Translation 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Don't worry about skills you don't have. Don't covet strengths others do have. Just extract your uniqueness. I love that. Just be you. I think that is so freeing for us that we can just be who God has created us to be. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to attempt to do what someone else can do. We just have to be us. And God has created us, molded us, shaped us, wired us, gifted us for specific purposes. The Bible, and we'll see it as we continue, is really clear on all that God has given us. You exited the womb uniquely equipped. David states it this way in Psalm 139, 15 to 16. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Gee, I love those words, the, the, the poetic beauty of that, that we're created and shaped in the secret place. I've said something 
to my kids that I've determined I need to stop saying. I've said to my kids that they can be anything that they want to be. It's just not true. It's simply not true. We like to say it, education system is all about it. But I don't care how much someone wants it, some people will never be a brain surgeon. Some people will never be a concert pianist, no matter how much they practice. We can never be every, anything we want to be, but we can be who God's created us to be. We can do everything and be everything God wants you to be. And I think that is an incredibly freeing thing. How often do we shape or try to shape the lives of those around us? Like the father who takes his son aside and says, your great-grandfather was a farmer. Your grandfather was a farmer. I'm a farmer and son, one day you will run the farm. What if that kid doesn't want to be a farmer? We begin to shape people into the expectations we think that they should have or teacher at school and a girl who all she wants to do is raise a family and be an incredible mother. The teacher that might say, don't waste your talents with your skills, you could go to the top. What about a pastor who says, we all need to be missionaries. Jesus was on mission. The Bible is full of missionaries. We should all go overseas. Sounds like great advice. And for some people, it is great advice. Janelle had moved to Nepal in a heartbeat. She could convince her family. <laughs> Good luck. For some people, it's a call, but it's not for everybody. And I think we need to be really careful about trying to shape people into who we think they should be. What we expect of them instead of embracing the uniqueness that God has created and gifted them with. Discover and deploy your knacks. Charlie Steinmetz did. I, I love the story of Charlie Steinmetz. Anyone heard of Charlie Steinmetz? He's so famous. He's incredible. Charlie Steinmetz developed the generators that powered Henry Ford's first assembly line. Right? Henry Ford, we know, was instrumental in the car. He wasn't the guy that invented the car, but he worked out how to mass produce the car. And he had a factory, and he, Charlie Steinmetz built the generators that powered his factory. After Charlie Steinmetz had retired, one of the, the generators in the factory uh, stalled, and the whole factory shut down. And Henry Ford's engineers spent so long trying to fix the, the, the fault in the generators, and they couldn't do it. So Henry called up his mate, Charlie, and said, Charlie, will you come and look at the generators? So Charlie walked around, he flipped a few switches and pushed a few buttons and checked a few things and switched it back on, and it started. He was gone within 15 minutes. And he sent Henry, Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. A lot of money back then. Henry Ford rings him up and says, Charlie, or speaks to him, Charlie, that seems like quite an excessive bill for 15 minutes of work. So Charlie sends him another bill for tinkering and flicking switches, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,900. We need to deploy our knacks, our strengths, the things that God has created us to do. Philippians chapter two and verse 13, again from the New Living Translation, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. <coughs> our past presents our future. Do you want direction for your life? 
begin to read your life backward. Job placement consultants, company called People Management International, have asked 70,000 clients a specific question. What things have you done in your life that you enjoyed doing and believe that you did well? And they said, in every case, the data showed that people had reverted to the same pattern of functioning whenever they had done something they enjoyed doing and did it well. At the end of the research paper, he put it like this, our past presents our future. Could this be true? Could our childhood interests forecast our adult abilities? Could early learning serve as sketches of the final portrait of who God has created us to be? I love being a parent and seeing the uniqueness of my kids and and their skills and the things that make them come alive. And just, Kerry and I have a conversation. I wonder what they could do with that as they grow older. I don't know if how many other parents look at their kids and, and have those thoughts. What, what, what shape could their life take with how this child is wired? And I think as we get older, we stop looking at those things as we get into a pattern of doing life. But could it be true? Biographies of some of our spiritual heroes tend to paint this picture as well. Let's start with an Egyptian priest. A prince, sorry. As a young man, he excelled in the ways of the courts. He mastered the laws of the ancient land. He studied at the feet of the world's finest astronomers, mathematicians, and lawyers. Eventually, 1,500 years after his death, he was remembered as learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. What little we know of Moses' upbringing tells us this. He displayed an affinity for higher learning and he was allergic to injustice. Remember his first appearance as an adult in Scripture? He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he killed the Egyptian. Started with a murder. The next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he intervened again. And this time, one of the Hebrews asked him a question. Who made you a prince and judge over us? How accurate would that description turn out to be? Turn to the second act of the life of Moses to avoid his arrest. He scampers into the bad land where he encountered more injustice. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 16 says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs of water for their father's flock. Then the shepherd came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. What drove Moses to protect these young women? Their beauty, their thirst, well, possibly ends up marrying a Midian princess. Maybe both, but maybe more. Maybe there was an irrepressible seed of fairness that was built into Moses that had grown in his soul. That Moses simply couldn't stand to see injustice. And when he punched a cruel Egyptian or he scattered chauvinistic shepherds, was he acting out of his God-given bent towards justice? The rest of his life would seem to suggest so. So, 40 years after he fled Egypt, Moses returns, but this time with God's burning bush, blessing and power. He dismantled Pharaoh and unshackled the Hebrews. Moses, the prince, escorted his people into a new kingdom. Moses, the judge, framed the Torah, the Hebrew law. The strengths of his youth unveiled the passions of his life. 
What we saw in his youth became evident as an adult. Fast forward nearly 2,000 years and consider another case like Moses. This young scholar displayed a youthful love for the law. He studied at the feet of Jerusalem's finest teachers. He followed the Torah with razor-sharp precision. He aligned himself with the Pharisees, strictly observing the Scripture. They defended the law with zeal. And zeal is a phrase that he would use to describe his youth. Young Saul's zeal prompted his initial appearance in Scripture. Just like Moses, it was a murder that brought him to the stage. Angry members of the Jewish council had cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. The Bible says, And witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Better call Saul misguided, misled, or mistaken, but don't call Saul mild. If you scratched him, Saul would bleed commitment. Whether he was Saul the legalist or Paul the apostle of grace, he couldn't sit still. He was cause-driven, single-minded, focused like a hawk on prey. Peter might tolerate the hypocrisy of the church, but not Paul. You were either in or out, hot or cold. Whether persecuting disciples or making them, Paul impacted people. His early strengths forecast a lifelong trait. Consider the younger days of Billy Frank. The eldest son of a dairy farmer, his dad pulled him out of bed around 2.30 each morning to perform chores. Younger brother Melvin relished the work, tagging along at his father's side, eager to take his turn long before he was able, but not Billy Frank. He and Melvin had the same father, but not the same bent. The minute he finished his chores, Billy Frank dashed into the hayloft with a coffee of Tarzan or Marco Polo. By the age of 14, he had traced the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Missionary stories and accounts of brave servants in faraway land fascinated the boy most of all. Later, as a college student in Florida Bible Institute, he visited with every evangelist who would give him time. He served their tables, he polished their shoes, he caddied for them, carried their luggage, posed to have his photos taken with them, and wrote home to tell his mother how much he longed to be like one of them. Billy Frank bore one more trademark, his energy. His mother remembered there was never any quietness about Billy. I was relieved when he started school. He was hyperactive before the term existed, always running, inquiring, questioning. He never wears down, his parents told the doctor. It's just the way he's built. Study Billy Frank's mosaic, fascinated with books and words at a young age, intrigued by missionaries in faraway lands, blessed with boundless energy. What happens with a boy like that? And what happens when God's spirit convinces him of sin and salvation? Young Billy Frank decided to drop his middle name and go by his first. After all, an evangelist needs to be taken seriously. And people took Billy Frank Graham very seriously. What if Billy Graham had ignored his talent, ignored his heart? What if his parents had forced him to stay on the farm? What if no one had noticed God's pattern in his life? What if you fail to notice yours? Remember, God planned you and packed you on purpose 
for his purpose. Ephesians chapter 12, verse 10, reading from the New Living Translation, says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Worship team, you can come and join me. Your father is too gracious to assign you to a life of misery. What if the way he has wired us from the very beginning, what if the passions and skills that are innate in us give us an indication of his plan and his design and destiny for our life? What if we can begin to read our life backwards and look at the way that we've done things and and when we came alive and what we excelled at as an indication of what God has given and shaped and created us for the future? So today's message is a setup for the next little while. I'm going to pause for Easter, but then I want to come back to this thought of reading our life backwards, how we do that, what it looks like. But here's a big question for you to consider over the next two weeks. What were some occasions when you did something you loved to do and did it well? Let's begin to ponder, and that'll make sense as we unfold the rest of the series. It'll really help you if you look back over your life and go, what are some things that I enjoyed doing and did really well? What are perhaps some things that they had in common there? What have you really enjoyed doing? What were you just naturally good at? What would you get you up out of bed in the morning and excited about the day ahead? Because just maybe the things that God has placed in your life from the very beginning are an indication of what he's called you to do with the rest of your life. God, I thank you that you have planned and purposed each one of us. God, it's no mistake that we have the giftings and the skills and the talents and the personality that we have. God, help us to be people that embrace that which you've placed in us. God, help us to read our life backwards, to begin to examine the things in our life that have led up to this point as an indication of maybe what you'd have us do in the future. God, I thank you that each of us is unique. We're each an original. But God, you've given us the ability to supply it with us all. Help us to be people faithful with that which you've placed in our hands. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org www.cofcpenrith.org